0: Happy New Year. You know, there's really no difference between December the 31st and January 1. It's just another click on the calendar, but we do tend to put some significance to a new year. There is a sense of new beginnings, new opportunities, and a time to reset and reconsider um, our lives and how we're spending them. So I hope you are looking forward to a good 2023. At Central, we had a pretty challenging 22, year 22. Uh, We had a major water leak in our sanctuary, a major uh, lightning strike that uh, destroyed a bunch of equipment, and it seemed like it took forever and is still taking uh, some time to put all that back together. And yet through it all, God was gracious and good to us, and, and we've seen His providence and His sovereignty through it all. Today's podcast is an archive from 2020. It's actually the New Year's sermon I preached uh, that year, and it comes from the book of Ephesians. And considering how Paul calls the church to remember who we were before Christ, remember how Christ has saved us and what he has done in our lives, and to celebrate uh, what he has done and what he is still to do. I hope this word will be a blessing to you today, and I look forward to being back with you next week. I want you to find in your Bibles the the letter to the Ephesians. So Ephesians and then chapter 2. We're going to pick up reading uh, chapter 2, verse 11, and we're going to go uh, through verse 19. Here's what the Word of God has to say. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who where formerly uh, far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, that in him he might make the two into one. New man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it, having, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built up Upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple into the Lord. In whom you all also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. All right. So it's New Year's, and every New Year's sermon that a preacher preaches, somewhere there is a, a rule written that you have to talk about New Year's resolutions. So that's what we're going to do. I Googled New Year's resolutions just to see if there was anything new, and there's really not anything new. Um, I know just from practical experience that about January, the first couple of weeks in January, it's hard to find a parking spot at the Y, but I don't fret because by February, all those new folks are usually gone. I Googled to see about New Year's resolutions, and no surprise here, uh, a recent survey by, by NPR and the, the, the Marist Poll that just in November discovered that almost half of Americans, uh, adults, plan to make New Year's resolutions, and leading the pack of what they were going to resolve to do is what? Exercise, work out, lose some weight, all those sort of things together. If you're familiar with Strava, it's a... It's a it's a, an app where a social media app where you can log your runs and those sort of things. Um, some analysts did some things with that and found that we are most likely to give up our New Year's resolution to exercise more as early as mid-November, which means you've got about one more week. City Lab decided to look at data from Google and a fitness trade association, along with information collected from smartphones. And what they found was, as you may expect, we start off strong. So, Google t- Trends shows that, that, that searches for topics related to exercise and weight loss spike right around January 1. I mean, it makes sense, right? You've had Thanksgiving where you ate too much and you said, I'm not going to do that again. And then Christmas and New Year's comes along and you just go, good gracious, something has to change. And so on New Year's Day, you can't fit into the exercise clothes you just got on Christmas Day. And so you start Googling, how am I going to lose some weight and get in better shape? They also found that uh, almost 11 percent of all gym memberships for the entire year are sold in the month of January. So when do we start falling off the wagon? Strava says it's the third Thursday of January when activities dip below the four-week average of activity. Foursquare looks at when there is the the first uptick in fast food eating and the first down click in exercise activity. And the forecast for this year places that day on February 9th. So you've got a couple weeks to go still. Second Saturday of the month. And just 40 days into the new year. So New Year's resolutions generally come from recognizing that there is something in your life or about your life that you don't like or that you think needs to change and a desire for that to be better or for you to do better. So, I mean, exercise is the easy one, right? We, we all know that we probably, no matter if you're a uh, a regular person that exercises, there's something more you need to do. And there's probably a few pounds that you need to shed. But, but there are other things. Uh, I mean, people, I, you know, I hear people say, listen, I want to spend less time on my phone and more time reading. Um, I, there's a stack of books that's on my bedside table. They're aspirational. I, like, I buy books and I'm going to read the book and I'll get about halfway through and then I get my attention on another one and I move on to that. But I don't ever take them off my bedside table because it just reminds me, you still got another book to read. And so there's a constant reality within me of, man, I want to, I want to finish some of those books and, and click off a few more. Resolutions are those things where we say, I want to do something different. I want to better myself in this way. I want to reduce something in my life that's not good or something like that. But the great weakness of New Year's resolutions is that they are founded on our own ability and strength and power. And so when we say we're going to exercise more, we say we're going to read more, whatever it is that you put on your New Year's resolutions list, the power behind accomplishing those things is you. And that's why we tend to fall off the wagon by February the 9th. It's because you've never exercised much your entire life and all of a sudden you've decided that on January 1 you're going, you're going to run a marathon. That's great until you realize it's actually 26 miles and that's a really long way to go. So by February 9th you're settling down for, I think I'll just walk around the block once or twice a month and, and that'll do it. The, the power behind our New Year's resolutions is you. And the problem with that is it's weak. It's powerless oftentimes doesn't have the endurance to make things happen. It's the gritting the teeth reality. I'm just going to grit my teeth and make it happen. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is calling us to do a couple of things. Number one, he wants us to remember where we came from, and as he calls us to remember where we came from. He is pointing us to where we are going and what God has done in our life. And the big point that he's making in this passage is this had nothing to do with you, and it has nothing to do with you, at least in the sense of the power to make it happen. You did not have the power nor the wherewithal, the the ability, the value, the worth, or anything to to be worthy of or to, to earn your salvation. Neither do you have all the power and ability to to keep your salvation neither do you have the power the ability to make yourself right with God and, and spend eternity in heaven with God this is a testimony of what God has done to us for us and will do to us and for us in the days and years to come so the good word today is you may not be able to keep your resolutions past february the 9th but God is the same yesterday today and tomorrow and what he has begun in your life never stops And what he starts in you, he always accomplishes. I want to break the passage in these three ways. Number one, I want to speak about that we need to remember who we are. And there's an importance here that I I don't want us to miss, that it is important, vitally important to our present walk with the Lord and our future hope that we rightly remember who we were before Jesus. Secondly, there is a call here to celebrate who saves. It's a reminder of grace. It's a reminder of the power of God. It's a celebration of Jesus. By the way, every time we gather in worship, we're celebrating Jesus. And so we in part, worship service for Christians is that every Sunday. But this morning, I want to give special attention to that, that we remember who we are. We celebrate who saves. And then lastly, we, 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 we celebrate who we are in Jesus. You're not who you used to be. You have a new father. You have a new future. You have a new hope if you are in Jesus. And that ought to transform and change everything about your life. In fact, I want to make the case today that if you have been saved, if you know Jesus, it is something that transforms you that you cannot get over. In fact, I believe that if you've gotten over your salvation, you've never been saved. Because it's so transformational that it's something we can never, ever Ever get over? But let's begin with remembering who you were. Look with me back in the passage, in verse eleven and twelve. Paul begins with a call to remember. He says, "Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, and we'll talk about who who, what he means by that. The Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ." excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Remember who you were. Paul begins by saying, you need to remember that before you came to Jesus, you were not under God's blessing. You were not under God's blessing." In verse 12, Paul makes a statement that might not necessarily be uh, understood by modern readers. He says says that that we were Gentiles and that we were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. And what Paul is pointing to here is that he's pointing to the covenants that God made with his people, and specifically his, his people beginning with Abraham. Now, if you were, and this has been a, a little while ago, so it may be a little foggy in your memory, but um, a, a couple of um, uh, summers ago, we did um, uh, C7SJ. We, we, we taught you how to tell the story of Scripture uh, um, from the beginning to the end. And we we, we taught the, the, the three parts of the promise of, to Abraham, and they were the land, seed, and blessing. God promised to Abraham he was going to give him a land that, that God would keep him in and his descendants in as they walked faithfully with the Lord. His seed, God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of nations upon nations. And the blessing is, God said, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. All the covenants that followed the Abrahamic covenant in Scripture built upon that. So when you get to the Davidic covenant where God said to David, I'm going to establish your kingdom forever and and a descendant of you will sit on this throne forever. That was built upon the the Abrahamic covenant of being in the land and being prosperous in the land. Along with these, God promised to provide for and protect Israel, his people, as long as they obeyed his law. In fact, the the, the promise was, if you obey my law, I I will establish you in the land that I will give you and I will keep you in the land that I will give you. The chosen people are the people of Israel because God chose them to be his. What Paul is pointing out that every Hebrew would have immediately understood, but that may not be necessarily common knowledge today, is that Gentiles are not part of the chosen people and therefore are not recipients of the promises of God's blessing. Now, maybe you're like me. I, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. I've said to some of you before, those of you who are a little older might know what I mean by this, that I was on the cradle roll, which means my mom signed me up for Sunday school and I got counted as, as present in Sunday school before I was born. So my attendance record for Sunday school is longer than my age is, praise the Lord. And growing up in a Southern Baptist church, you know, I've heard the gospel and how God loved us and and provided his son for us. And so it was the most natural, normal thing for me to to believe and understand that that, that I am living under the blessing and provision of God. But what Paul is pointing out here is that that, 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 that the blessings of God were first and foremost to Israel, his chosen people. And prior to salvation, we are not under the blessing of God of God. Gentiles through the Old Testament were not part of the chosen people and therefore were not recipients of the promised blessings of God. And Paul is pointing out here to the, to the church that prior to salvation, none of the Gentiles had any of the hope in the promises of God, in the provision of God, in the blessing of God. Now, this is why I think this is so important for us to understand. Walk up and down the streets of Waycross, Georgia tomorrow and have a conversation with a stranger and talk about eternity. Ask the question, what do you think happens to you when you die? And the, the most likely answer you will get is some, some vague description of, well, I'm hoping that things are going to sort of work out, that when I get when I, when I die, that God's going to receive me in the blessing, I mean into heaven. I've been, I've been a fairly good person. I've tried to do good things. As a pastor, I've gone to lots and lots of funerals and I've heard lots of things said about people that I know were scoundrels, but when we do their funeral, we talk all nice about them. Well, they helped out strangers and those sort of things and, and that sort of feeds into that sense that what we're hoping is is that when we stand before the judgment seat of God, that we're going to receive the blessing of God just because we're a nice person and we tried hard. But Paul is making the case, listen to me carefully, that prior to salvation, We were not part of Israel. We were not part of the blessed uh, people who were under the blessing of God. In fact, we were separate from the blessing of God, living outside of God's provision and God's blessing. But he goes on further than that, and he says not only that, but you were separate from Christ. That the more severe truth is found at the beginning of verse 12, where he says, let me read it to you. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Outside of salvation in Jesus, you have no part of Christ and no relationship with God. Paul makes clear to the Ephesians that prior to salvation, they not only did not have any right or claim to the blessing of God, but they were separate from Christ. The truth here is that salvation, listen to me carefully, salvation is an all or nothing reality. Either you are completely, totally saved by the blood of Jesus, or you are completely, totally under the wrath of God. There is no gray area here. Either you are with Christ, or you are separate from Christ. And Paul is saying, oh, dear friends, Now he's speaking to the church, he's speaking to believers, and he's saying, remember what it was like before you knew Jesus. You weren't under the blessing of God, but worse yet, you were separate from Christ. Paul is reminding the church that they once were separate from Christ. And by saying that, he is reminding them that they once were condemned in their sin. Now listen, remembering how you were prior uh, to salvation points you to consider the great grace of God. So the question has to be asked. Why would Paul want to remind them of these difficult moments in their life? And I believe the reason why he starts here is because remembering well multiplies grace. This is what I mean. Paul reminds the Ephesians of these things not to bring shame upon them, not to stir up hurtful memories. So let's just be honest here for a minute. All of us in this room before we came to know Jesus... We're not under the blessing of God and we are separated from from Christ and we are under the full wrath of God. That is true of everyone in this room. So Paul doesn't bring that up to shame them. He doesn't bring this up to to stir up a sense of guilt in their hearts. Paul reminds them of these things to recognize the amazing grace of God. When you forget your life prior to salvation, what happens is you lose sight of the great grace you have received. If you don't remind yourself often of how much God has done for you, how great the work of salvation is in your life, you lose sight of the amazing grace that you have received. When you remember from where you have come from, it multiplies your understanding of God's grace. Now listen to me carefully on these. When you forget life, what your life was like prior to salvation, what happens in your heart and mind is that you begin to grow proud in your own righteousness. You forget God's grace, you forget your sin, and you begin to to assume that somehow you are more righteous than you are. You grow proud in your righteousness, you grow arrogant in your ability, you grow tired of serving the Lord. I don't want to press this too much, but I do think it needs to be said. When you understand rightly how much Jesus has done for you, the question has to be asked how much how, how does that how does that transform your heart towards serving the lord many in the church today look at service to the kingdom service to the lord as some kind of burden some type of undue hassle in their life and i think that is coming in part from forgetting from where they have come you grow tired of serving the lord you grow resistant to sacrificing for the kingdom and you grow indifferent to the lost now i don't want to press this one too far either this morning but the great tragedy of the north american church is that we have grown indifferent to the lost around us this is not this is not central baptist this is this is pretty common amongst most evangelical churches You organize anything you want to call it, whether it be faith evangelism outreach, growth strategy, or Operation Meet the Neighbors, and you say, listen, we're going to go out and tell people about Jesus. You cannot expect 10%. You can barely expect 5% of your congregation to show up. What does that say about us? It says that we're indifferent to the lost that are serving, that are living around us. But dear friends, when you remember the grace that you have received, what it produces in your life is that you grow more aware of your sin, not to your shame and guilt, but to the grace, to the recognition of God's grace. You grow more humble in your need for the Lord. Listen, the more you understand and remember where you came from, the more you understand how much you need Jesus. The more you remember where you came from, the more joy is in your service before the Lord. The more you remember where you came from, that your sacrifices seem so small in in comparison to what the Lord has done for you. What can I give that is in anywhere in comparison to the gift that Jesus has given me in salvation? And when you remember where you come from, you grow in passion for the lost to know the grace that you have known. I just want Waycross to know what I've known. I want my neighbors to know the grace that I've experienced. I want them to live under the blessing that I have received. Remembering who you were is another opportunity to marvel at the grace of God. And the more you consider the grace of God, the more it multiplies. There is never a moment in your life that you will have comprehended, know, or understand the fullness, the depth, the width, the height of the grace that God has given you. Remember, remember where you have come from and who you were. Number two, remember who saves. So Paul goes on, verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near. He's pointing to Jesus. There's not a soul in here that's been saved because they were smart enough, good enough, or worthy enough. Everyone in here whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life is is done so simply by the act of Jesus and by the work of Jesus. And dear friends, all of us who are saved have been saved by grace alone. Somebody say amen. amen. Verse 13 begins with two words that seem rather simple, but they're very precious. But now, it is a phrase separating what went before from what follows. So before Christ, we were Gentiles. That is a word that is used in a general sense of all those who were not part of God's chosen people. We were Gentiles, uncircumcised, separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But then he says, but now you are in Christ and have been brought near to God. Salvation does not come because of your merit, because of your worth, or even because of your effort. Salvation has come because of the actions of God. Grace is to receive something undeserved. Therefore, when we talk about grace, there is no mention in this whole passage about your merit or your worth. He's not saying to the church there at Ephesus, oh, but you work so hard to get to where you are. There's no mention of that. He doesn't talk about how I know you are are separate from Christ, but you really wanted to live righteously. There's no mention of that. The only mention here is of Jesus. Jesus has brought us near. This passage points singularly to the action of God to act to save us. Dear friends, remembering um, where you have come from reminds us as well that salvation comes by Jesus alone through grace. If you are saved today, you are saved simply by the action of God poured out on you undeservingly, and we call that grace. You've received grace upon grace upon grace. I was speaking to a a father uh, this weekend. We were talking about raising our children his children about the same age as mine, and, and I, I just made the statement to him. I said, you know, one of the things I'm very, very thankful for is that when I was coming through middle school and high school and college, that the only way to take a photograph was to actually take an old-fashioned photograph. Now, some of you don't know this, but you used to, you had to take a, went on film, all right, and then you had to wait till you took up all the pictures on your film. What was it, 32, usually like in that? 12 or 32, something like that? Then you would have to take it out and get in your car and go somewhere. Some of you mailed them off. That took too long. The most advanced thing in 1992 was one hour for, uh, development, right? And you would go to a, 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 a photo shop. You would turn it in. You'd pay money. And then, then they, would, they would print out. They would develop and print out for you photographs. And then the only way to share those things was to actually physically take it to somebody and go, see what I've got? And then you put it in your drawer. And you could maintain how far it went and what it went. If you didn't like it if, it, if it revealed something that you were embarrassed of, you just ripped it up and it was forever gone. Well, now our kids are living in a very different world where photographs can go around the world in a half a second. And, and foolishness that we all did, somebody say amen, that we all did is recorded forever on social media and those sort of things. So I was just telling this father, I said, man, I'm just thankful that some of the foolishness that I did, and you're thinking, what did you do, Pastor? Well, I'm not going to tell you. And there's no, uh, there's no record of it because we ripped up all the photos, amen? Um, but the foolishness that, that, that we did is coming through um, wasn't recorded. And we were just talking about how difficult it is or new it is uh, for kids today. Um, the stuff that they do that we have forgotten that we did sticks with them much longer. Here's the point, dear friends. There's not a soul in here that has lived a life that is righteous. There's not a soul in here that doesn't have a photograph somewhere if they wish that it was gone away. And there's not a soul in here that hasn't been saved by the grace of God. And the more I think about my younger years, the things that I'm glad there's no record of, I'm more and more thankful for the grace of God that saves. Jesus saves by grace. And, and Paul goes on to say that he's made us righteous by his blood. Look at verse 13 again. He says, but now in Christ you, have been, you who were formerly far off have been brought near. And then he says, by the blood of Christ. Verse 13 indicates how we are brought near to God. That is, by the blood of Christ. Now, m- many today are vainly hoping that when they face the judgment of God that they'll be judged on a sliding scale, meaning it's moving up and down. They're hoping that they'll be graded on a curve, right? Or, Or they're hoping that they'll be judged according to somebody else. Here's the thing about that. I can always find somebody that's worse than me. Amen? And when I'm judging myself, I never look at somebody who's better than me. I always find somebody who's worse than me. It makes me look better. And many of us are hoping that uh, that the judgment of God is going to be based on against someone else or according to the opinions of others. If I can convince most of you that I'm a pretty nice guy, then maybe God will be convinced. Paul reminds us that we have been saved by the blood of Jesus, which is a point to be made that God has not set aside our sin. He's not ignored our sin. He's not forgotten our sin. He's not excused our wickedness. But rather, through the blood of Jesus, our sin guilt has been atoned for. The but now, in verse 13, rests on the power of the blood of Jesus. All the wonderful truths about salvation that follow verse 13 rest on the foundation of the blood of Jesus righteousness comes only through sacrificial blood offering that Jesus gave on the cross that atones for our sins. This is what Paul is saying. Remember who you used to be. You were condemned in your sin. You were separated from God. You were under the law, and there was no hope for you. But Jesus, by his grace and through his blood, has atoned for you, paid the Christ for you, made right for you, holy, that you now can be brought near to the living God. Mm. Remember who you were. Celebrate who uh, remember who you were, remember who saves, and now celebrate, celebrate who you are. Look with me in verse 16. Paul says. Let's back up just a little bit. He says in verse, well, I'll start with verse 14. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having, by, by it having put to death the enmity. And then let's look look in verse 18, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. It's important to remember who you were to understand who you are. So Paul says, remember you once were separated from, from God, you were condemned in your sin. Remember who saves, it is Jesus by grace through his blood that has made you righteous. And what that has done is for those who believed on Jesus in faith, it transforms who you are. And the first very, very singular point that he makes is the very first thing about you that after salvation is that you now are at peace with God. Through the atoning power of the blood of Jesus, both the Jew and the Gentile have been made at peace with God. That's why he talks about the two becoming one. In other words, our hope for atonement now is not separated out by those who are the chosen people of God and those who are not. Our hope singularly, Jew and Gentile both, is that to be right with God, to be at peace with God, is no longer through the keeping of the law of sacrifices of bulls and rams. Our hope to be at peace with God is through the singular sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Through Jesus on the cross, both Jew and Gentile, all those who believe on Jesus are at peace with a holy and righteous God. No longer is the wrath of God stored up for you. But through the work of Jesus on the cross, the condemnation of the law has been satisfied. Just just pause with me for a minute on this. When you you are separate from Jesus... It's not that you are in limbo land. Remember I said it's an all or nothing proposition. Either you are saved in the blessing of God or you are not and you're under the wrath of God. So before you came to know the Lord, you were under the full wrath of God. That was only withheld as an act of his mercy that you might have opportunity to be saved. And Paul is saying, but you're no longer that way. You're no longer that way. Who you are, what you are has been transformed. Now you're at peace with God. The holy judgment of God has been settled. The blood makes the sinner righteous and at peace with God. What a glorious and wonderful truth that you once were an enemy of the holy God and now no longer are you an enemy, but rather you're at peace with him through the blood of Jesus. You're at peace with God. Secondly, for me this is more precious Not only are you at peace with God, but now you are children of God. Notice how far we have come. In the beginning of the passage, you were separate. You're outside of the blessing. You're under the wrath of God. Now you're at peace with God and you are children of God. Not only are we just relieved from the wrath of God, but through salvation comes new citizenship and new kinship. Citizens in the kingdom of God, verse 19. And kinship to the father as adopted children, verse 18. Don't miss the contrast here. On one side are strangers and enemies that are far off. And on the other side are children who are welcomed into the presence of the king. If you've been saved today, believed in faith on Jesus, Your sins have been atoned for by his sacrifice on the cross. You then are a child of God, having access to the presence of God, having as your hope the inheritance of God in heaven, to enjoy the provisions of God and living presently in the blessing of God. It's good to remember who you once were, and it is equally important to celebrate who you are, both in the present and for the future. Now, I believe, I believe, dear friends, that if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, brought near, no longer a stranger, but it made it peace with God and a child of God, then by definition, what that means is your life has been eternally transformed. There are some things That are so transformational that even if you tried, you can never get over them. I believe that anyone who has known the salvation of God never gets over it. There may be times when you need to be reminded who you were prior to salvation, there may be moments you need to to marvel again at the amazing grace of Jesus dying for your sins. There may be moments when the worries of this world threaten to obscure the overwhelming goodness of salvation. However, in these moments, the Word of God points us again and again and again to the truth of salvation. And to the truth of salvation, dear friends, because we have been so radically transformed from strangers and enemies under the wrath of God to children and citizens in the blessing and presence of God, we just simply cannot get over that good to remember because it's a testimony to the transformation that what God has brought to you. I don't think we should ever, ever get over it. Memory's a funny thing, isn't it? We tend to minimize the bad stuff and celebrate the good stuff, don't we? There's a man by the name of Clive Waring. It's a fascinating story. Clive was in a very accomplished musician, composer, conductor. He taught uh, music in a, on the collegiate level. He was well known in his, in his craft. Accomplished musician in every right. In 1985, he contracted a, a virus that attacked, attacked his central nervous system. and as a result of that virus and the, the, the damage that it did, it left Clive Waring um, in the unique sense of amnesia. He does not remember anything in the past, and he cannot make new memories in the present or for the, for the future. They call him 30-second Clive because they say that he only is aware of about 30 seconds. His wife, interesting enough, the only one he can recognize, the only person he recognizes, is his wife. But every time she leaves the room and comes back in, it's like the first time they've met. She says that when you ask him a question, he'll give you an answer. But by the time he finishes his answer, he's actually forgotten that you asked him the question. To try to keep sensibility of, of, of what was going on, he began to keep a journal. Some of that was practical so that he could actually work through a day and remember that he had already drank his coffee in the morning, that he had already gotten up in the morning. But when you read his journal, it's it's really kind of a sad reality. Most of the entries, he'll write an entry, and then when he thinks of it again, he comes back and he'll write another entry. Most of them begin with, I am actually alive now. Five minutes later, I'm now actually alive now. Five minutes later, I'm fully awake now. Because he doesn't remember waking up. And everything behind him is just a black void. It's a brutal way to live. It reminds us that memory, though it's not a perfect historical record, memory, dear friends, is a gift of God. When you read the Old Testament and God's about to do something new, notice he usually gives a history lesson not necessarily to teach the people what they did not know, but to remind them, remember, we've been here before. I've delivered before. I've provided before. And as we remember what God has done, it gives us encouragement for what he is still going to do. Memory is a gift of God. Memory gives understanding to the present and hope for the future This year, I'm going to give attention in my preaching to three major themes. Salvation, discipleship, and evangelism. It's not revolutionary, but I believe for a church to be effective in our discipleship, the very first thing you have to do is be saved. Somebody say amen. And I think sometimes we try to disciple those who haven't actually come to know Jesus. So I want to... This year, give more attention than I have in the past to just preaching messages about coming to Jesus. This is one. Secondly, discipleship. I believe that if you've been transformed by Jesus, a natural outgrowth of that is to know how to obey the Lord. If you came to know Jesus, the first thing you said is, I, I am confessing Jesus as my Lord. In other words, you're going to serve him and obey him. How then are you going to obey him unless you know what he is commanded? And the way we know how he is commanded is to know his word. And that happens through discipleship. Now, Sunday school is the big, the big ministry here. We do that. That's not the only way to be disciple, but it's the first start. And frankly, dear friends, we're living in a day where many of us are satisfied with saying we are saved, but having a Uh, an anemic discipleship walk in our life so i want to give attention to both proclaiming the gospel salvation encouraging us to be faithful in discipleship and then there's that last one evangelism i cannot be dissuaded from this conviction and that is if you've truly known the transforming gospel of jesus then the most natural response to that is to invite somebody else to know And I want our church to be a church that is equally passionate about our own salvation as we are about others coming to know Jesus. Paul calls the church to remember who they were. Remember what God has done in your life. That he brought salvation to you through the work and ministry of Jesus. Paul is calling them to remember how they were saved. You were saved through the blood, through Jesus. One of the beauties of discipleship is that as you study the word of God, you more deeply understand the things that, that, uh, of God and the truth of God. It, it gives you a more, uh, a more precious understanding of God's truth, and you love them all the more. And Paul says, remember who you are. You're children of God, citizens of the kingdom with the hope of glory. And I cannot imagine receiving that truth without wanting my family, wanting my neighbors, wanting my friends, wanting my whole community to come and know that too. Remember who you all were before you came to know Jesus. Remember who saved you through his blood. and Celebrate who you are in Christ. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment, all for the King and all for the Kingdom.